This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, August 14th, 2019. I'm Caleb Brown. For those who insist illegal immigrants should simply get in line and do things legally, know this. The Trump administration has just made legal immigration more difficult, and it's done so on a number of occasions. Cato's David Beer comments on the most recent example, perhaps the largest change this White House has imposed on immigration to date. To what extent are uh, immigrants who come to the United States legally able to take advantage of the vast array of uh, programs that are uh, typically made use of by Americans. When we're talking about welfare programs, uh, legal immigrants in the United States face a bar to using any welfare benefits whatsoever at the federal level uh, for five years Um after they receive their green card or permanent residence. Um, immigrants who are do not have permanent residence in the United States uh, are ineligible for uh, all federal means-tested uh, public benefits. Okay, so the Trump administration has announced that uh, they'll penalize immigrants who make use of, not necessarily rely, although that is sort of seems to be how it's being presented, uh, food stamps, uh, housing uh, credits or vouchers or that sort of those sort of benefits. So how big of a deal is this uh, programmatic change if a lot of these people that you're talking about who come here legally are not making use of these programs as it is? Well, it's a huge, huge change in immigration law. This is by far the biggest policy change that the Trump administration has made on immigration. Um, and that is because even though the vast majority of these people who are applying to come to the United States permanently or temporarily are not on public benefits, uh, the rule doesn't take that into consideration very much. Uh, you know, that's just one of the factors that they're going to look at in order to determine if you will use benefits maybe at some point in the future during your time in the United States, which is an indefinite period of time. Um, so they are, it's a forward looking, uh, bureaucratic prediction about what they think might happen with you, uh, going forward. And they put together a list of, uh, demographic characteristics that they're going to weight positively or negatively, um, for you. So if you don't speak English, um, you know, you're working a, a lower wage job, uh, or have a lower wage job offer, uh, it's going to be very difficult for you to overcome the presumption that you are uh, what they're calling a public charge. Uh, historically, just to take you back, this this rule comes from the 19th century. And at that time, public charge, there was no ambiguity about what that meant. You were a ward of the state. You lived in an almshouse that was 100% government-owned, government-run, uh, you are entirely dependent for your existence. The rise of the modern welfare state has totally uh, upended this historic understanding. So now we have all of these benefits that we're giving to people who are way above the poverty line. I mean, people who are uh, 400% of the poverty line are receiving benefits from the government, even though they're contributing economically. I mean, obviously they're you know they're they're uh, they have jobs and they're supporting themselves, but we are making these benefits available to them, 
And so now we have all kinds of people who are not entirely dependent on the government by any means receiving the benefits. And so what this rule is ultimately about is using that fact that basically anyone on the income distribution could potentially receive benefits against immigrants and say, well, because you might use benefits in the future, we're going to deny you the ability to immigrate legally. And uh, here at Cato, we've always said, you know, we should make a wall around the welfare state so that non-citizens are not using government benefits, but we shouldn't build a wall around the country and prevent people from immigrating here simply because uh, we have a welfare state. And the reason for that is because they are contributing uh, overwhelmingly economically in a positive way at all levels of education. According to the National Academy of Sciences, people who are in their prime age working years are a net fiscal positive, uh, taking into account all levels of government, if uh, you know they, regardless of their education level. So um, we are getting benefit economically from having people working, whether it's a low wage job or uh, one of these higher wage positions. So when uh, people like Stephen Miller, Donald Trump, Ken Cuccinelli, people who are uh, endorsing and pushing this uh, programmatic change, um, what what do they mean when they say public charge? How small of an amount of money are we talking about? Well, they do not even specify how small of an amount of money we're talking about. So um, they're they're saying that if you use any public benefits at all that are means tested uh, for more than 12 out of 36 months, then you will be a public charge regardless of the value of those benefits uh, to you. So they could be uh, you know, they could be a couple of dollars. They could be a couple hundred dollars. Uh, it doesn't matter. Uh, and, uh, you know, that's ultimately shows their hand. I mean, the, the goal of this thing is not to save taxpayer money. Um, you know, if someone's receiving a hundred dollars a month, but they're making 10 or 20 times that amount through private income, through a job, through employment, that means they're economically contributors. They are overwhelmingly self-sufficient. Uh, they're overwhelmingly supporting themselves. Uh, and they are not by any means a ward of the state or public charge or that type of thing. And so uh, really the the goal of changing this definition is about keeping people from immigrating legally to this country, not about saving taxpayer dollars by any means. And it, it, yeah, specifically, it seems that it is to put up another hurdle in the way of somebody getting a green card. Yeah, well, the goal of it is to overturn what is the the policy of the United States of family reunification. I mean, the people who this rule would apply to, it doesn't apply to refugees or asylum seekers. It, it and it really doesn't apply much to employment sponsored immigrants. In fact, they say in the rule like we're basically going to not even focus on those people at all. This is about family-sponsored immigrants. We're talking about spouses, parents, and children, uh, as well as siblings of citizens and legal permanent residents of the United States. So these people are the ones who are being targeted. So if you're trying to marry someone who was born in another country, you're going to have to meet 
all of these uh, requirements and try to overcome this presumption that you're ineligible for a visa, showing that you have enough income to support yourself. You already have to do that. But now you also have to deal with, does she speak English? If not, that's going to be counted against you. If she hasn't graduated college, that's going to be counted against you. They're going to do all of these things to to create a a checklist of negative characteristics that they're going to hold against that person and then uh, ultimately use that as an excuse to deny them a visa, even if they've never used any public benefits, wouldn't even consider doing so even if you have an income to support them uh, above the poverty line, uh, all of that does not ultimately entitle them to immigrate legally. And uh, this is something that through our regulatory structure in the United States, the president can just do or an executive agency can just do. I mean, the real problem here is that Congress passes these vague laws that doesn't, they don't, you know, Congress didn't define what a public charge is specifically, uh, and therefore, uh, you know, as historical precedent going back, the Supreme Court has basically said the administrative state can define terms that aren't defined in the statute however they want. And even though back in the late 19th century, there was no ambiguity, I mean, this was someone who lived in an almshouse. Uh, you know, the administration admits that, but they say, well, the fact that we've gotten rid of almshouses doesn't mean that we don't get to use this rule in a new way to to keep people out of the United States. And so um, basically they're they're reinventing this old um, uh, old doctrine and, and using it in a way to to apply to new circumstances. David Beer is an immigration policy analyst at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast. <laughs>